and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Come on, who relates? Brilliant. Um, I think there's enough of a variety of stuff there. Uh, and we wanted to show that because I want to pick up a little bit on what I've talked about a few weeks ago with what's the matter with matter. And I think you see from there that the, that the issue is while ever we make certain things very important, um, we, we actually ruin an experience so the matter is the paper the matter is the chocolate the matter is the what they're going to eat and the oven and all of that and yet the experience is lost and uh, I sort of wanted to start by saying that what matter is at the end of the day if, if you look at it from a materialized society that we live in what matter does eventually is kill experience we're never going to change this way of being unless we realise that experience is far more important than matter. Now, why do we struggle with this? Because experiences hurt, they cause us pain, unless, of course, we can guarantee the outcome by our control. And we want the experience not to cost us anything. Um, the matter with matter is that we measure our sense of security from it, what we have, what we own, what we possess. And it becomes a sign that the, the good side has won and it's an indicator of our wholeness. But life doesn't work that way. It's full of opposing forces that have to be reconciled. And this morning, we're going to have a look at how we do this. Maybe that's why we're told we need to become as little children because adults have forgotten how to play in the reconciling of opposites that we all find very, very difficult. You know, we know that black here, white there, and I'm happening to be stood on a very white stage, that we see them as opposites. And, um, you know, it's very clear. We, we, we all know what we mean by opposites. And it's not so easy to know how to uh, reconcile them because it's actually something that we're not taught uh, how to do. In fact, we're more likely to be taught how to recognise opposites rather than reconcile them. So I wanted to talk to you about <clears throat> the Buddha's enlightenment. And you think, oh, can you do that? Yes, because we can embrace truth wherever we find it. And we're not afraid of that here at Q because we're on a quest to learn. And um, it's a very interesting story. And I'll just give it to you very quickly because I want to put some... Uh, thoughts around it. But basically, uh, Siddhartha uh, Gautama, if I've pronounced his name wrong, I'm sorry, but 
he, he was just a regular guy, although very rich, very wealthy, lived in a palace. And for most of his life was very, very sheltered from the suffering that was in the world around him. He, he'd just be kept away from it. He lived a life of pleasure and really didn't have a, a clue what was on, going on outside until supposedly he once witnessed the suffering of people out in the, the city or wherever, um, watching people suffer. And he, couldn't, he didn't understand why this was because he'd never experienced it before. So the story goes, because I know how stories get messed with, but enough, enough said for that for now. So anyway, apparently he left the palace and he decided that he was going to go on a quest uh, to find the answer to suffering. How many have done that? I mean, it's, it's gone on forever, hasn't it? And do we, do we find out what it is? Well, we, people come back with ideas. But anyway, so he lived in the forest. And for six years, he, he basically starved himself to the point of death. The story goes that uh, he would drink rainwater. He, he would eat bird poop. Uh, or anything that was just in the forest and uh, on the verge of starvation. Uh, one day he sort of, I wouldn't say walked to the river, he, he rolled down to the, the edge of the river and uh, there was a, a boat going by and he heard a guru who was sat on the boat talking to one of his students and he said these words, if you tighten the strings too tight, they will snap. If you leave them too slack, the instrument won't play. Now, whether it came from the Buddha or wherever, those words are quite astounding if you get hold of them and let them sink into your, your being. If you tighten the strings too tight, they will snap. If you leave them too slack, the instrument won't play. At that point, it's said that the... the uh, Siddhartha, let, let me call him just Siddhartha, that's his name for crying out loud. Siddhartha had the revelation and his quest was over because his eyes were open to a very important truth. He had been following the wrong path uh, for six years because he thought that if he went the opposite of pleasure and go to complete suffering, he would figure things out. But he didn't. All he did was go to an extreme. And he recognised that there was something about the middle way that made sense, a one of moderation. Because you see, the, th the thing is about extremes, they are seductive and the ego loves them. Honestly, I wish you could understand that. Extremes are. And why is it in religions we get so, oh, don't we love the extremes? Thou shalt not, and you must this, and you must that. Oh, extreme. I'm holy. I'm wonderful. Meanwhile, we're making sure that people out here know that they're not. See, extremes. When it comes to inclusion, where are we? But in the middle. So it's, a, it's an incredible situation. So anyway, to, to sort of quickly get on with the story, he, uh, he found that he understood. And so let's look at this. If a thing is too tight, it requires too much effort and creates tension rather than ease. Question, how many of us live in this place of tension and dis-ease? But if a thing is too loose, not enough exertion is required. There needs to be enough to keep us awake so as not to constantly drift into dullness. How many of us live there? See, extremes. So he found the middle way, the, 
the space between positive and negative absolutes, avoiding extremes. And as I've said, self-mortification was no different to the life of pleasure and it doesn't lead to, lead to freedom, but the ego absolutely loves them. Now, I want to liken that to, as I said a, a, a second ago, the way of the spirit was always taught to me as an extreme because I was taught that the spirit was at one side of the, of the thing and flesh was over here, right? So what were we doing all the time? Trying to crucify the flesh and live by the spirit. All our time we're spending crucifying the flesh. And I have to be honest, I've realised that, that that was as much ego driven as I've already said. There was a scripture that said, if you follow the spirit, or well, I'm taking it out of context really, so I might be making it up. But um, there's a scripture that I recall that says, if you walk by the spirit, you won't fulfil the lusts of the flesh. So what are we trying to do all the time? Get to this side of an extreme. So the messy middle. <laughs> and, and I just want to say here, be careful nines on the Enneagram. Don't think yourselves as being in the middle because you're actually not. You're at an extreme of no conflict. Just remember that. So I don't want anybody to think that somebody who's... Because nines are lovely people. They are so cooperative and want to really help and be uh, on the side of everyone but actually it can be incredibly extreme. So that's all I'm saying, and I'm not picking on your nines, I just want to give you a, a little bit of, um, of help there. So anyway, Rumi had a quote, and, which was interesting. No, he, he was uh, from Islam. So we've got another person from another stream who's saying something very similar. He says this, look at this example. Your hand opens and closes, opens and closes. If it were always a fist or always stretched open, you would be paralysed. Your deepest presence is in every small contracting and expanding, the two as beautifully balanced and coordinated as birds' wings. Now, isn't that lovely? There's some life there, isn't there? You don't go around with a clenched fist. You don't go around with an open hand, but it's always opening and shutting. And that's a, a lovely example of the middle way. Now, let me just quickly finish this story. He ate for the first time in six years. This is Siddhartha. A woman passed him, looking at him half dead by the river, gave him a bowl of rice. But his followers felt betrayed. Oh, isn't that interesting? They said, we can no longer follow you. You've broken your vows. And they left him. Where have we heard that before? But he pleaded, no, to learn is to change. Ooh, how wonderful. And I want to say here, the problem with credibility, one has to continue to believe the same thing forever in order to be credible. And what many confusedly consider to be stability is nothing more than stagnation. I have met many wonderfully good people over the years who were taught the lie that to change one's mind is a form of weakness and that doing so is tantamount to confessing the life lived under a now discarded belief to be illegitimate or a waste. And I want to end by just saying this before we move on. The man who never alters his opinion is like standing water and breeds reptiles of the mind. Oh, I hope you're ready for the next chapter. His running days were over. Why? 
because he'd reconciled opposites. When he started running, you don't get the bit before. He started running, he'd just lost his mother. And things that he felt very much about, the matter in his life, you know, the very important Jenny, if you've watched the film, wasn't materialising and therefore he couldn't reconcile his life with those things. But suddenly, what was the phrase? My mum always told me, put the past behind you. And at that moment, the revelation dawned and he said, and go home. And I'd love us to find today that home is that middle place. Home. We can find home in that centre because it's neither opposites where, of course, our ego is having a great time, but there is no freedom. I'll follow you anywhere, Mr. Gump. We've heard that before as well, haven't we? What are we going to do now? I know. We'll start a church. I'll start a movement. And I wonder if Siddhartha and Jesus have actually become idols because the experience that they had, they never start themselves, but they're made by somebody else based on the experience of someone else. So religions are what become of people trying to understand someone else's experience. If you think about it, Siddhartha became the Buddha. Jesus became the Christ. Who gave them the the? Have you thought about that? Who gave them the the? I know that I can give the to lots of things. There's a great one at the moment, the science. Who gives it the the? Are you following me? It's because it's become matter rather than it being left in the place it's meant to be. Did you know that neither of them wrote a word about themselves? And listen to this, I find this incredible. Siddhartha would not appoint a successor because he said this. He said that everyone needed to work out their own salvation. Ooh, now that's interesting, isn't it? After he was dead, a council got together. Hello? Where have we heard this before? A council got together to decide the teachings of the Buddha and all of the 225 rules that now must be adhered to in order to be a true disciple. Sound familiar? It's supposedly based on the eightfold truths of Buddhism. And guess what? I'm not going to give you them all. You go check them out. All the eightfold truths are do right, think right, it's all about doing things right, which ends up being what? An extreme. I hope you're getting this because I think it was just very, very inspiring to me. I wonder if Jesus and Siddhartha had the same message, that we have to own both the opposites to the point that the two become one. Now, if we think about the Garden of Eden and the story there, that can tell us all sorts of things. It's very interesting. We can look at these two trees, and I've been raised to believe this, that one was the tree of good and evil, but if you ate of it, it, it was wrong, it, it, you died. The other tree was the tree of life. And yet, somehow, because we're told to eat of one and not the other, again, it can look at one is right and the other is wrong. But what about this? Can I just offer you a thought? 
that what if the tree of life was not void of good and evil, but had fully assimilated both. And that's why it could rightly be called the tree of life. Oh my, doesn't that just put a different spin on it altogether? This is what real life looks like. Both opposites being put together and seen as one. So the church has encouraged this kind of hiding. We try to eliminate the bad and advance the good. It's offered a saved pill telling us to pretend to be holy while we accuse the world that they're not. So I'm being honest, I've lived most of my life at one extreme or the other, but I'm finally learning to reconcile the opposites. The Buddha did say this, I'm not going to call him the Buddha, I'm going to call him Siddhartha. I think he deserves to be called by his name. Don't you reckon? The Siddhartha said this, praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and sorrow come and go like the wind. To be happy, rest like a giant tree in the midst of them all. Oh, I think that's wonderfully freeing because there is a unity that underlines all opposites. And life consists of conflicts from encounters with them and it can feel like we're in a battleground. We even talk in terms of the battle between, right? But if we are willing to take away that battleground, we will discover the harmony. When we keep them separated, there has to be a winner. Hence, we live a life of anxiety. Does anybody relate to that? So the danger of separating perceived opposites is that we ourselves find ourselves separated. We are finite. God is infinite. God is holy. We are not. The moment I recognise that I and the Father are one, then the harmony is found. Where do we find that? By putting the two together. If we realise that opposites are fed by feeding the other, we can actually end the conflict by recognising one cannot live without the other. And instead of looking at them as a conflict, we can see it as a polarity instead. Now, this is a thought from Alan Watson. If you've never encountered him before, have a look. I'm not saying everything that he says you'll agree with, but we're open, aren't we? He says this, it's, it's wonderful. He says, if you take a magnet and cut the end off one side, because you know a magnet's got poles, hasn't it? And you cut off one end trying to rid yourself of one pole. What happens? All you do is take the end a little further in. You still have a, the, the two south and north poles. It's just that you've brought it a little bit further towards the middle. You only create a new end. And he goes on to say, forces come from what seems like poles apart. They seem to have nothing in common, but that's because we're thinking eccentrically instead of centrically. We haven't realised that self and other are the same. Life and death are the same. The ins inside and outside are the same. Back and front, you, you get me. So can we embrace these polarities? And this is where I want to bring you to the, the thought about play. Because that point at the beginning was if you tighten the strings too tight, they snap. But if you uh, leave them too slack, they won't play. Now, I know we can have a bit of a play on words here, <laughs> can't we? But it's quite interesting. 
He talks about, Alan Watts, he goes on to say that we've considered playing the opposite to work and maybe not taking things seriously. And I know that I've lived a very serious life. I was told that everything was serious. There was nothing really non-serious. That's why I struggle at parties because I really don't know what I'm meant to do at them. It's like, what's this for? I don't get it. It's really weird. Life's serious, you know. And um, we take our existence very seriously. We ask questions. How am I going to survive this? Am I going to survive this? So we say that life is serious and it's not a game. And we associate playing with games and yet we've, we, we know that people will talk about the game of life so it's, it's all very uh, interconnected but we're told and this is what Alan Watts goes on to say we are told the universe is playful and it is best understood with an analogy with music existence is musical in nature it's not serious but is a play of all kinds of patterns it's made up of vibrations sound silence on off waves, crests, troughs, and you can't separate the two. Like front and back, positive, negative, they're different, but they are one. Different can be inseparable. And sometimes we don't like that. We want to separate them in order that we might control what's going on in our lives. We think of life as constantly aiming for destinations, but it seems that the universe doesn't work that way. It's not in a hurry to get anywhere. It doesn't have an end game like we do, always looking for that end point. The example can be here that we can live to retire, then when we get there, we don't have the energy to do anything. For some of us, for a lifetime, the end game was getting to heaven. But the main aim of any musical composition is not to get to the last note of the chord. Otherwise, the faster music was played, the better it would be. Yay, the end, the last chord. Woo, let's go home. Nobody goes to a concert and sits longing for the end. In fact, they don't want it to end. They encore want the music to go on. We can cheat ourselves out of a glorious journey and deny ourselves the whole experience by not reconciling the opposite. Life is a musical thing and we are supposed to sing and dance while the music is being played. Our world is made up of inseparable differences. And get this, a mystic is one who is aware of his inseparable unity from the universe. He is sense-able. Through his senses, he knows how the world works and is willing for his life to be part of the play. Let's be mystics. And just to end, it puts a, di a totally different light on the phrase, you've been played. Be a winner at the game of life. Reconcile the opposites and let your life in the messy middle be played as a beautiful song for all to hear. And I'm sorry I read that last bit, but I knew we were starting to run out of time and, and I wanted just to finish it off. I hope that's been helpful. I've tried to be honest about my life and I know that I haven't lived. I haven't lived in the middle. I have been very extreme. I have wanted to control everything and, and, and I've been raised to believe that. But understanding that you can't have one without the other. And like I said a, a bit ago about the tree, if you recognise that the reason why the tree of life is life, it's because it's assimilated both. And it's not trying to live at the extremes. And I think if we would understand that what we've been offered 
is to eat fully at the tree of life in the messy middle. I think we'll find we can be winners in this situation. So I've asked Joel and Connie to finish with Inseparable. And I know it can be a song that's sounding like two people, but if you can sort of transfer these words to just put it into context that we are inseparable from everything. And whether you like it or not, I mean, some of you, it's, it's gone down like bad medicine this morning because you're desperate to rid yourself of all the rubbish. You're desperate to get rid of it. You can't. Stop trying to cut the end off the, the magnet and just centre yourself and recognise that in the middle you are there to be played as an instrument. Uh, that's it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. Thank you.